Hi, I'm Becky Chambers. I am the author of the Monk and Robot books, which include A Psalm for the Wild Built and A Prayer for the Crown Shy. I am here with M. Grosland, who uh, lent their lovely voice to both books. So hello, M. It's nice to be here today. Hello. It is so wonderful to meet you. I'm very excited to talk about your books. So I'm Becky. Um, I, I wrote the books, and I'm, I'm very happy to hear that you like them. Um, my pronouns are she, her. Um, and yeah, that's that's what I do, is I write books, and then I, I get to talk to cool people about them, like yourself. So where where do you hail from, and where, where are you in the world right now? I am currently in New York. Um, okay. Inwood, to be specific, which is like the oh. very top tip of Manhattan. Where are you? I am. I am in the the tippy top north of of California as we speak. Oh. Hence the trees out my window, Lovely. which the people listening cannot see. So I don't know why I brought it up. But, but well, everyone, it is beautiful outside of Becky's window. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk. Let's talk book or books, plural or yes. whichever. Yeah, um, books. They were both excellent. Um, yeah. Do you do a lot of audiobook work? yourself because I know you're an, you're an actor and a performer as well is that correct mm-hmm. yeah so yeah I've been able to do a lot more um since pandemic times um started uh I had done it in the past and then um I moved and didn't have anywhere to do it at home and so I kind of had packed up all my recording gear and then uh, my partner and I are both actors and so we lost all sources of income Um, when everything shut down. And so I invested in building this booth in my apartment and setting up my recording equipment and doing all of that. Uh, So over the last couple few years, I think I've done something like 25 books over the last couple years. Um, So it's been really wonderful. And I have... (laughs) I love it so much. <laughs> um, uh, I'm really, really enjoying it. And I have been very lucky that I've gotten to do a lot of queer books and a lot of like anti-capitalist type books. I've sort of like found that as my mm-hmm. niche, which uh, I am that's adoring, a good That's a good so. niche to have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you find? What do you find that what's your what's your sort of prep like for going into recording something? I imagine it's really different than or like what are the differences between that and how you would prepare for, say, a live performance or or any sort of, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for the books, I always read it first. Mm-hmm. I do one read that I read it as I imagine um, someone who bought the book at a store reads it uh, without thinking about it as something I'm going to perform. Um just so I can get a feel for what it's trying to do to its audience. Uh, And then I do a second read that is very much um, more like how I read a script, where I take notes and I, you know, I look up pronunciations and um, do research on anything that I don't know anything about. Um, And then uh, in that read, I also often, if there's a lot of characters like this one, um, I'll highlight each character in a different color uh, and try to find... One of the, I think the easiest way to find uh, not a voice but a energy for each character is to sort of assign them a person that I know in my life, <laughs> or a character that I'm familiar with, um, and try to really think of that character as that person, picture that person in my head as that character while I read, um, sort of, so I can lock that lock that energy in for that character. 
That makes sense. That makes sense. I have a I have a theater background. I'm very out of practice, but um, oh. but yeah. So I, I am I am I am picking up what you're putting down. So so, wait, so when yeah, you're this. so then I have to ask when you're writing. Do you yeah. do you have like a voice or a character energy or whatever for each character as you're writing? Like how do you do that and maintain that while you're writing? I I very much do. It's it's largely internal. Okay. Um, although I do a lot of. Um, all right. Well, let me let me back up. So my process is um, organized chaos. Uh, I don't I don't uh, I don't outline. I don't write in order. And I tend to work with dialogue first, actually, because, um, you know, my schooling was all based on working off of a script. I yeah. tend to write dialogue and then write the book around that, if that makes sense, the yeah. same way that you would stage a play, right? You know, you you get the dialogue and then you figure out what the set is and then you figure out everything else. So often I just have these, you know, I'll have like a Word document full of, it's just like bare bones, line by line by line. And so a lot of it I will... I will work out um, sort of on my feet, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, talking to myself, looking completely normal and sane while I'm doing so. Um, but yeah, I do, I, you know, with this as with everything else, I had a Dex voice and I had a Moscap voice and, mm-hmm. you know, I would just imagine the way they would talk to each other. And often once I actually get into the thick of writing it, once I'm, you know, really in the nitty gritty, like everything's down on the page, I've got the I was about to say the stage directions, but I've got the actual prose around it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I, I often will do this thing where I sit there reading at my keyboard, even though the page oh. isn't done yet. You know, I'll kind of back up and and read a few lines of them, and I'll just do it over and over and over until it feels. Um, as natural as possible. Obviously, people in books don't talk the way they do out in the real world. But, um, you know, I want it to flow and I want them to sound like them. So, yeah, a lot of them, I, a lot of that work is something I do aloud and, mm. um, you know, with different voices. Yeah. Well, and are they are they ever based on people that you like? Are these characters at all based on anyone you know, or are they people in your life? Or you know, I as with everything in a book, I tend to liken it to making dinner out of whatever leftovers you have in the fridge. Rarely do <laughs> I rarely do I select like a specific person. It has yeah. happened on occasion, um, like in uh, in my first book, um, The Long Way to a Small and Great Planet. There's a character Kizzy who is just like copy pasted wholesale from a a friend I had in in college like some of the things um Kizzy says are just verbatim what my friend Christine said back in the day <laughs> um so sometimes that happens but more often than not it's little bits and pieces mm-hmm. of people either people I know really well or it may have just been a passing stranger or what have you um you know and then a lot of it is me as well. I mean, I think yeah, that's yeah. true for anything you write or perform, yeah. right? You're always carving off little pieces of yourself as well to some extent. You know, there are pieces of me in Dex. There are pieces of me in Moscap. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just it's it's all one big hodgepodge. Um, for So when you go through and you're you're figuring out character voices and you're, you know, who these people are, did, what were what were your sort of touchstones with Dex and Moscap? Did you have particular people in mind or like... Um, or really specific, like, you know, um, go to, I don't know, character traits, sorts of emotions, beats, qualities, I, you know, whatever it is that you mm-hmm. were drawing from in order to read them. Dex was straight up just me. Um, <laughs> straight, I just total honesty. Dex was, I, because I read it and I felt so, I like, 
I I want to be Dex. So, um, or I like to think of myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that. Uh, so that was a really easy way in for me was to just, uh, and also I find that when you're, whenever I can make the main narrator um, myself or the main character myself, uh, I try to, uh, just because I think that that um, authenticity is much easier to listen to for however many pages. Um, and so I, I very much just was did Dex's myself. Um, Moss Cap, honestly, energy-wise, is my dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, obvious, obviously, Dex is far more intelligent. Um, but that, like, especially in the second book... Um, but that wonder and that, like, there's a childlike wonder, but it's not immature. It's yes. Um, it's uh, like just it's just amazed with the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so distracted by <laughs> the beauty in the world um, mm-hmm. that it just fit really well. <laughs> I lo- um, I love that. But yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, that's definitely those two, and then all the other, all the other characters. Like you've written such a beautiful, like I want to live in this world. You've written such a beautiful queer landscape of humans um, that I very quickly was like, oh, that's my friend Strather, and uh, that's my friend. <laughs> you know, I very, it was very easy to like notch in who each person was um, because they're so clear. That makes that makes me super happy to hear that. I'm super happy to hear that because I I wanted it to feel like I wanted it to feel like a real living place that was easy to step into. I wanted yeah. the reader to be able to um, just you know kick off their shoes and 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 be there for a while. So so I'm 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 glad I'm glad that 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 came through for you. Yeah, it's somewhat someone described it. I don't remember where I read it, but it, the book first book was described as a warm hug. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yes, that is exactly. <laughs> it's like a warm, I'll add it to warm queer hug, but it's a warm hug. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it was it, definitely, and it, there's an ease to it. But I guess my question then is like, I'm sure writing it isn't as easy and smooth as it is when it's read. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess like what is the hard part of writing something like this? From beginning to end and because you said you don't do a lot of planning beforehand I don't do a lot of planning so I mean in in terms of the nitty-gritty in terms of the like the the the, the technical you know um, you know how, how the sausage gets made aspect <laughs> of writing a book um, the the hardest thing I think about writing without a plan is of course that I'm writing a ton of stuff that I don't end up using um, because what I'm doing as I write is is really I'm figuring out the story as I go, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's just figuring out where I am and I have no idea where it is that I'm headed. So sometimes I'll find myself in the thick of a chapter and I sit back and look at it and I'm like, well, that's not right yeah. at all. <laughs> you know? and, <laughs> and it's like a whole week's worth of work and I just instantly, like once it's done, look at it and go, no, that's wrong. And then I chuck it out. Yeah. So I... I often um that's probably the most frustrating part of the process until i really feel it all click is just figuring out what it is and then there there reaches this moment where i sort of hit my stride and then i'm like okay now now i see it but it's it's after 
several months of trial and error and beating my head against the wall. And it always feels like it's never going to end. And then inevitably it does. But in the moment, um, that part of the process is really, really trying. Um, the, the other part of it with with both with particularly with psalm but with monk and robot in general um because i i wrote both of them before the first one was was published um was that i wasn't i wasn't sure how people were i wasn't sure how people were going to like it um you know before this um you know i'm best known for my my wayfarer series which is a very different setting it's a very different style and um i think a lot of the the themes and vibes are similar but it's monk and robots not a space book and i i prior to this was known for writing space books and so i was really nervous Mm -hmm. i i I had a lot of self-doubt about it you know are people gonna like this or do they just like this other thing that i do um and so i think i think a big part of writing psalm was also just tripping over my own shoelaces a bit and having to get past that hump of oh god is this something is this anything really yeah. is this you know is this going to come together at all um that was a little intimidating but um but i got there so <laughs> do you do when you have to throw out chunks of stuff that you've written is it ever hard in the sense that like oh i loved that thing that moment and it no longer fits like is it ever a little bit like is there a grief process to letting go of a little bit yeah yeah a little bit but i've definitely um it's gotten a lot easier as the years go on right you know now 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 i'm you know a a a seasoned old i don't know (laughs) i have you know no it's it is always hard in 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 some respects there it definitely there are moments where it's just like ah, but i like that so much um but i think the thing i've i've learned um having done a bunch of these now is that I can often use those things somewhere else. Maybe yeah. not in that book, yeah. but I never actually like delete things. I just set okay. them aside, you That's know? Right. So um, there are things that didn't work in one book that then did work in another book four years later, you know, wow. that yeah. I could just take and recycle. And it's not exactly the same. It's not the same characters, but like, I could find that little kernel of what it was that I liked yeah. and use it elsewhere. And sometimes I don't, though. Sometimes it's just this precious little thing that I can just keep in my pocket and take out every so often and be like, I really like you, but you didn't work. Um, yeah. And that's just part of it, too. Yeah. Yeah. So you you, you are a science fiction writer. Mm-hmm. What is it that drew you to doing science fiction? Gosh, um, I have always loved science fiction. I grew yeah. up um, on Star Wars and Star Trek. I say this a lot, but it's it's completely serious uh, that I don't remember life without Star Wars and Star Trek. That's just completely, yeah. I was going to say alien to me. That's a terrible pun, and I don't mean it as a pun. <laughs> no, but I just, I have no concept of life without it. And so um, those were always the worlds that I loved best and and yeah. spent the most time imagining and thinking about and playing in when I was little. And then in my in my tweens and teens, you know, that's when I migrated into actually reading science fiction. Um, and after that, it was just like, this is it for me. You know, yeah. this is this is the um, the flavor of story I like best. And um, yeah, I can't I can't imagine life without it. And I, I really can't imagine doing anything else. Oh, that's that's 
That's great. So I won't ask you if you love writing because you clearly do. <laughs> I do, except when I hate it because as mentioned, it's it's one of those things where it's like I sometimes I hate it so much, but yeah. also there's nothing else I'd rather do. I think that's very very common for us us creative folks. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where we all want to, you know, set whatever the work is on fire sometimes, but yeah. at the end of the day, we love it because you know. What else are you gonna do? Now, write, writing is generally a like I've been told it's very solitary often, but like so is it? What what is it like to have it and someone else reading your book and doing their interpretation of the things that you came up with? See, I think it's awesome, but again, I'm coming from a theater background, so I'm used to that's that sort of give and take right mm -hmm. of like I've made this thing and now you're gonna run with it that's that's a a mindset that comes really naturally to me because that's what you do on stage as well yeah. right or regardless of whether you're um you know whether you're a playwright or whether you're doing improv or if you're just you know working a scene with someone whatever it is um it's a very reciprocal process so mm -hmm. I don't find it to be challenging to you know, once once the book is done and on the shelf, whatever people are going to do with that is up to them. That's how art works. Somebody else yeah. is going to take it and put their own spin on it. And that can be in an informal way as well. Like, I, you know, I've seen fan art of my work. I can't read fanfic for for legal reasons but like um <laughs> you know <laughs> oh yeah we could talk a lot about that but there's a whole it's a whole ball of wax but no i can't i think it's fantastic that it's out there but i can't touch it um so uh yeah like the story is no longer mine at some point and mm -hmm. so i think um i think it's actually beautiful to be able to hand it over to someone else and to have somebody else interpret um the work and to to put their own spin on you know, every little detail that I put in there, you know, because I know that when you are working through it, you're you're putting as much focus and attention as I did on, you know, hitting the words right and mm -hmm. finding, you know, how to say this sentence first. It, we're, it's the same process in a lot of yeah. ways. It's figuring out how to ring the, you know, not just the most meaning and feeling, but the, the correct feeling yeah. for the moment out of out of each line, you know. Yeah, a lot of times I'm reading it and I'm I'll, I'll get to the end of a page or something and be like oh wait no that is not where this author was that's not what this author wanted this to be um mm -hmm. and so i'll have to go i'll go back and be i have to go back and be like okay this is this is not the sad moment this is the you know this is actually a very joyful underneath this or whatever and I, it's so it's i i love that part of it as well i love trying to like and trying to interpret um the emotional arc that the author is putting these characters through uh, in a way that's authentic to them. Mm -hmm. Do you ever find, I mean, when you, when you reach a moment that you um, perhaps is more ambiguous mm -hmm. in, in, a, you know, be it in dialogue or in meaning or what have you, like, what, what do you do in those moments? How do you figure out how to navigate that kind of a snarl? I usually try to pick the thing that I feel, uh, serves the moment the best um serves the character the best uh and oftentimes I, I i tend to like to make pick whatever is the highest stakes um as opposed to uh a lower stakes choice um meaning that i i just i think like like in theater that there's a reason why this scene is on the page um 
there's something about this moment in this person's character's life or in this see this life the life of this this world that this was the moment that was chosen to be in the sh- on the page so there's a sense there's to me there's an assumption there then that there is something important in this in this so i try to look for a sort of like the pivot the pivotal moment in in that part of the story mm-hmm. so what what's whatever serves that pivot so um because I, I think that listening to or or reading about um, someone changing or growing or learning is the most interesting. Um, so I try to pick the ch- do the choices that uh, serve that shift, serve whatever that character is learning or growing or um, changing their mind about something. Uh, I try to find those places as much mm-hmm. as I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also, I also try, not that I'm Pollyanna, but I also try to, if there's a choice that I can make that is the positive version of saying that line, um, I do try to do that as much as I can because I think, I don't even, I don't know why I do that. Um, I would rather listen to that. Um, yeah. That even if it's somebody, and I also think that that's kind of a very human thing that even when you're going through something that's really painful or awful, you tend to... Making that that positive choice in in the way you say it, um, mm-hmm. I I just find more interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I absolutely agree. And I th- yeah. I think um, I think that instinct. It's one. It's one I relate to when I get stuck. It's often comes down to what do I want, what would I want to read, mm-hmm. like how yeah. would I want this to go, you know? Yeah. And it it it's funny. Like writing that tends to feel. Um, like a little self-indulgent like in the moment you're like but but then I you know you I just discard that feeling because it's mm-hmm. like no like I mm-hmm. if I would like reading it chances are some other human would like reading it too maybe not every human but no yeah. I think I think just going with what you like as yeah. opposed to we're getting too in your head about what somebody else expected or what somebody else yeah. wants um, can can really get you unstuck a lot of the time yeah, and, and that's not to say that I don't like finish a book and go home and be like, oh my gosh, I hope the author loves this. Like, what it, what, right. what, if, what if I, they're <laughs> oh, gonna totally. be there, what if they're like, this, that was awful. I don't want to redo it. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I do definitely like spiral. Oh, <laughs> for sure. Often. Yeah, no, I'm real good at that. Uh, but uh, I try to come from a place of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is what I enjoy. As, so, this is what I'll do. Yeah, see, that's that's the advice you know we give when when we're when we're cool and collected. And we're not like in the middle of a project, <laughs> but when I'm in the middle of a project, it's definitely like this is garbage, and everybody's gonna know I'm garbage. Yeah, no, I I completely yeah know. yeah Wait, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this feels very self indulgent to ask this question, but it's on my list. <laughs> what <laughs> what did you look for in an audiobook narrator? I. I'm glad you asked. So, um, so for the for those listening, the the way it works is like this. I do not have a lot of involvement in the audiobook process. That is very much its own its own beast. It does its own thing. Um, but when when that whole thing gets started, I'm often asked. Um, you know, if, if I have any notes in mind, it's ultimately not up to me. But like, if I have any, you know, sort of broad strokes ideas for um, 
what kind of narrator I liked. And I had very few about Dex. I had very few preconceptions of what I wanted for Dex. I wanted someone who sounded natural, which I mean, that's what you want for anything. But, you know, Dex does have um, a sort of informality to them. They have an ease in the world, even though they are not necessarily easy, you know, even though they are dealing with a lot internally they inhabit the space around them very easily so i i wanted i wanted to hear that quality it was also important to me that um that whoever narrated this book was not cisgendered because Mm -hmm. dex isn't yeah um and that just made sense to me i mean that was just a no-brainer for me um well thank you for that so yeah (laughs) i mean it's just yeah if i'm writing if I'm writing a book that has a woman as a protagonist, I want a woman as a narrator, mm-hmm. you know, and I have made that note many a time. Uh, but Dex is not a woman. Yeah. So, no, it had, you know, yeah. that is obvious. Um, so when once those notes went in, um, then, you know, production comes back with, um, you know, sort of candidates who have recorded an audition. And this is actually a, pro- a part of the process I love because um, <laughs> it's so fun to hear different people's takes on, you know, what is often the same paragraph. Yeah. And and it's, 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 it's so great, but it's also really difficult because they're always all great. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, having to, to pick and rank and all these things um but when i heard your demo and i i'm gonna have to explain what i mean by this because it's going to sound flippant but i mean it as a genuine compliment okay it was the way you hit fuck in the opening line um (laughs) i'm dead serious as soon as i heard it i was like that's it that that's the one right there because that's a word you can imbue with a lot of different meanings yeah and um you know, the opening line of the book is, I'm paraphrasing myself here, but, you know, sometimes it is, uh, there's a time in a person's life when it becomes absolutely essential to get the fuck out of the city. Mm-hmm. You were the one who who managed to convey the, like, low-key exhaustion mm-hmm. and nameless ennui that Dex is feeling in that moment. And then you went on to paint this, you know, this beautiful picture of the world that they live in mm-hmm. and then come back to the fact that they're incredibly tired of this place that they live. I just, I felt that everything I had intended in that paragraph um, from the cussing at the beginning through the prose to right back to I'm, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you just encapsulated it perfectly. I Aww. felt, and it, it sounded um, completely organic and like it was coming from the heart. And I was just like, yeah, that's that's it. That's it right there. So. Well, I'm sure that has nothing to do with the fact that I live in New York City and much prefer <laughs> much prefer the wilderness. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, as, you know, as as mentioned earlier, I do live in the woods now, but I grew up in Los Angeles. So there may be a little bit of a little bit of that yes. uh, coming <laughs> coming through. Oh, no, if I could have a cabin in the woods, that would that would be it. That would be ideal. So, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, fuck, that fuck came from a real place. <laughs> <laughs> as as it does, you know, that's the thing when people talk about like, oh, you know, um, there's, you know, you don't need to have swearing in books. You don't mm-hmm. need to. Yes, you do. Yeah, you yes, do. you do. Not all, <laughs> not not compulsively. Yeah. But sometimes that is the exact word that you need. Yeah. My job is to find the right words, and sometimes that's that's yeah. the one. So, if they're contemporary characters and 
Yeah. If especially that, especially yeah. that, like I said, I you know, know, people in books are never going to talk the way people talk out in the real world, but I can certainly do my best. And yeah, and people do cuss. So, <laughs> and in the future, we'll probably cuss even more. So, probably in in new and exciting ways that we haven't invented yet. But I'm really, <laughs> really looking forward <laughs> to discovering how. Uh, how how did you let's see find another one. um how did you come up with the concept of Mosscap and the other robots? So, uh, robots, AI, uh, any sort of thinking, feeling machine. Um, th- these are loves of mine that go way back. You know, going mm-hmm. again to Star Wars and Star Trek that raised me. You know, I when I was little, I I loved. Um, R2 and, and 3PO and, and Data on Next Generation was always a big favorite of mine. So I've always loved robots, the idea of being able to talk to a machine or a piece of software, all of that. As I've gotten older, um, I mean, the, the sort of that, that giddy, I just like robots feeling is, is mm-hmm. still there. Um, but I am, I'm really interested in consciousness uh, as a concept, consciousness, cognition, intelligence, thinking. Um, I'm particularly interested in it um, in non-human species. And the further away from humanity we can get, the more I find it interesting, you know, like, I, yeah, super interested in primates and how other primates besides us think. But I love, you know, social insects Mm -hmm. and uh, cephalopods and things like that. I really love just just sitting around thinking about thinking sounds so pretentious but it's true that's one of my favorite things to think about is why do we do this um and i think within that you know robots are just a a natural extension of that in that i i love the idea that consciousness is not something we fully understand and that as machines and software get more and more intelligent they might do things without us intending it they might Mm -hmm. be able to start perceiving with us intending it do i think that's really going to happen i have no idea but like within the context of science fiction i think it's a really fun thing to think about um the other thing that went into it um within monk and robot was i had kind of a bee in my bonnet with this whole series about um concepts that are commonly presented as polar opposites or as being completely dichotomous Mm -hmm. be it in fiction or in the real world, nature and technology being one of them. Yeah, um, they're often presented as these like these arch enemies that are you're never going to find um, balance between. When really, technology is just tools. Yeah, right. Technology is just tools, and yeah. we are part of nature. Nature is not something separate from us. We mm-hmm. are a part of nature, um, and we use tools by a product of our own nature. So, mm-hmm. like these things are not um, mutually exclusive, and so. Mosscap and the robots of Panga, I I really wanted them to embody that idea that mm-hmm. there is no conflict between these things. Like the conflict is just what we do with said tools, right? Yeah. Like the tools themselves are not bad and we can learn to use them and live with them in ways that are harmonious and are positive. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be a destructive force. And the other thing in there was, uh, you know, in terms of dichotomous things that aren't really dichotomous, uh, was logic and emotion. Again, um, things that are always presented as 
polar opposites. They're often presented in a very gendered way and, uh, you know, like logic being male, emotion being female, which is complete nonsense. But uh, but we don't have time for all of that. Um, but, Darn. but especially in stories about robots and AI, you often have these stories where um, a robot that cannot feel is inherently childlike or is, or is not quite human. Mm-hmm. Whereas a robot that does gain emotion is often unstable and unpredictable and becomes murderous or dangerous these sorts of things whereas we're we have both right we are both logical creatures and emotional creatures and they're not we're not i mean okay we are in conflict about these things constantly Mm -hmm. but they balance each other out right i wouldn't want to go through life as a cold automaton neither would i want to go through life as a raw ball of emotion all the time you know you've you have to have both so i prefer thinking of um emotion as something that just naturally arises as a product of intelligence as a product of your ability to perceive the world around you and so i didn't want moscap to be the sort of robot who doesn't feel things or feels things in a in a in an, you use the word that they're not, or that it's not immature, right? Yeah. And I, that was yeah. exactly what I wanted to convey was was it does perceive the world differently, but it does so in a in a fully realized way, in yeah. an emotive way, in an intelligent way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Moscap and the robots um, of my little moon were 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 meant to be the marriage of these things that I don't think should be separate or need to be separate. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's yes, that is exactly what you did do. <laughs> um, uh, I was fascinated by the choice to use the pronoun it for Mosscap um, and on its, its insistence in mm-hmm. using it. So I, sh- I would just love to hear you speak on um, if you are comfortable speaking on um, where how how that decision came to be and like what that meant to you. That yeah. Um... That's one I, I actually put a lot of thought mm-hmm. into because it um, if we were if we were talking about people, yeah, it is not a choice I would make. I know yeah. there are some people who actually do yes. use it and that's a very personal choice. Yeah. But a lot of times it can be used um, in a very pejorative way, mm-hmm. in a harmful way. Um if it's not being used um, by somebody who has requested it, yeah. right? And so there's there's a lot of baggage that comes with it. Yeah. Um, and I thought of, there was also there a, a smaller consideration of it was just practicality because I I I knew that I didn't want Moscap to be gendered. Um, yeah. But then I have two characters hanging out. <laughs> Yes. But like who are using the this and the, it's tricky. It's tricky to do that. It's doable, but it's trickier. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, um, is there a way to 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 make the distinction between them a little simpler? That was not the the sole thought that went into it, but yeah. that was like a small technical thing of like, well, if I can do this, <laughs> it would yeah. be easier to write. Um, but um, I thought about what my problems with it were that it did make me kind of um, – recoil from it a little mm-hmm. bit this uh, you know that thing of like well you you wouldn't call a person it again mm-hmm. unless they asked like that's that's uh, you know it, it does have that sort of um dehumanizing feeling to it but then i stepped back and i checked myself and i said but moscap isn't human yeah you're assigning a quality to the to to mm-hmm. it 
See, I, I'm even doing it in yeah. speech. Like, I do this when I talk about Moscow. I find myself starting to say them mm-hmm. a lot because to me that's respectful. Yeah. Right. But yeah. Um, but that's me coming from my own human bias. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's that is why I not only decided it was absolutely the right thing yeah. to call Moscap it, but to have the the moment where it explains to Dex mm-hmm. why, um, because Dex is um, feeling uncomfortable with it due to social norms that do not apply yeah. to Moscap, right? Mm-hmm. That that to Moscap are actually um, kind of offensive because it doesn't want to be human. Yeah. It does not see that as the zenith of something to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that that too is something we often see in robot stories and in, in AI stories, this idea that humanity is the best thing you can aspire to be, mm-hmm. right? Like that's Data's whole story yeah. in Next Generation is his quest to be human. And I think that um, that sort of thinking gets us into so much trouble out here in the real world. This idea that, you know, we are the best of the best and everything has to be this one thing, mm-hmm. as opposed to what if we have lots of different things? What if we have lots of different categories mm-hmm. and we value all of them the same? What yeah. if Moscap is an it? And that is still every bit as valuable mm-hmm. as what it means to be a person. Moscap is very insistent on how important it is to it to be an object and not a person. Yeah. Uh, something that comes up in the second book as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I those moments when I'm writing where I find myself getting some uncomfortable about something like that, uncomfortable about something that is um, outside of my own norms, I often find those to be really good moments to step back and figure out what it is that I'm uncomfortable with and why. Sometimes it's a legit discomfort where I'm like, ooh, I've done something oogie here that I didn't really want to do. But sometimes it's stuff like that where I catch myself um, being more human than I'd like to be. Yeah. When I, you know, when it's not appropriate to be so. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, yes, all of that. Um, yeah, it, 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 to me, it was this, uh, I loved the moment when Dex uh, questioned it. And had that like, oh, that feels wrong feeling Um, because as a non-binary person, I've witnessed people feel that way about the pronoun they. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it was really lovely to watch Dex struggle with it for a second, but then do the simple thing, which is believe Mosscap when Mosscap says this is who I am and this is how I want to be referred to. Um, And that beautiful ability to just let go of you know, the need to fit Mosscap into something that Dex fully understands and instead just accept. Um, Mm -hmm. I just thought it was such a really, such a brilliant way of talking about that without talking about it. Um, And I, (laughs) and I, I, because I have to say when I, when I was given, whenever I'm given a book that has a non-binary narrator or a trans, specifically trans narrator, um, I'm, I love doing that kind of work. It's, it's, I love it. But I also, I'm sort of bracing myself for the scene in which my character is misgendered or the scene in which um, there's some something transphobic happens. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's an emotional expense for me um, as a trans person. And I am I love doing that. I, I it's it's important to me to be the voice of those stories. Um, but I do have to say it was so refreshing to get to the end of both of these books and be like, oh, Oh, like the the shit never hit the fan. <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> I I never had to go through that. Um, 
and that so that was really 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 lovely uh and relieving and to be able to read a book that I saw myself in without having to go through um the trauma of yeah. Yeah. of that was really I, beautiful thank you um I'm, I'm really I, no that means a lot um I I relate uh, really strongly. I'm cisgendered, but uh, as a queer person, yeah, we white knuckle, right? Mm-hmm. Like through so much stuff. Anytime yeah. it's a story about us, you you brace. And I'm sure you do, or perhaps do a similar thing that I do, you know, when recommended a, a book or a show or something that somebody else has seen already, you know, asking, does it end well? Yeah. You know, yeah. or is there anything in here I should avoid? Because it's, it is draining. Yeah. It is taxing. And it's not to say that stories about our struggles, stories about our pain um, shouldn't be told, yeah. especially, especially by queer and trans authors who need a place to put that. We need mm-hmm. a place to work through um our experiences, the things that have happened to us, you know, we are allowed to tell our stories. Um, But I think it is equally important to tell stories um, and to share worlds in which those struggles don't exist. Um, Because we deserve to rest and we deserve to feel safe. And ultimately that's the feeling that I, I wanted this book to foster for anyone who reads it, regardless mm-hmm. of who picked it up, I want. Yeah. I did not want anyone to feel, um, you know, especially in the here and now, reading these books. I wanted it to f- to be a place where you would just be safe, where you could, you know, poke at some big ideas and and wrestle with some big existential things. But there was nothing in here that was going to hurt you on that level. Yeah, you know, that's that, that was really important to me when writing this. Yeah, it's impressive that it ex- it succeeds in both being not an easy book intellectually. Like, there's definitely there's a lot to wrestle with in it. Um, without it, really, yeah, I, I, safe is a great safe is the wrong word, but it, it's without without having any sort of trigger, I guess, in it. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's 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 been nice to be able to recommend a book to. Uh, people um, without having to like warn them about things. That are... <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, so on that note, like what what uh, what would you like listeners to take away um, from both books, actually? I I think that's I, I think that's exactly it. I want them to feel like a break. Yeah. And even if you don't even if you don't walk away thinking about the big stuff, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I there's. If, there, if you want to be chewing on the stuff that's in there, great. I, yeah. I tried to put a lot of good chewy stuff in there so that you would have something to think about. But if all it provides you with is a quiet afternoon, mm-hmm. um, that in and of itself is enough, I yeah. think. I mean, that's sort of the point of the books is that it can just be a cup of tea or a sunny day. And that's important in and of itself. Yeah. You know, um, that that is my, my biggest wish. My biggest hope for people mm-hmm. picking up this book is that it is just something pleasant to bring your blood pressure down and to let you just be quiet for a bit because I think um, the ability to be quiet and be still is, is something that is vanishingly rare these yeah. days and so that's 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 if that's all you get that's the most I could want so well, that's what we all need right now so 
<laughs> I mean, the, the titles speak to that so well too. Because the, the, it is a, it is a psalm, and it is a, it is you know that it really it really does feel like a prayer and a psalm um, mm-hmm. in that way because it feels like it's something that holds you uh, in comfort. Right, something that yeah. I, I wanted it to feel grounding, and I wanted to feel comforting. Yeah, and so yeah. Well, thank you. Cool. Thank you so much. <laughs> this has been. Fabulous. I feel like we could talk afternoon. Sure. Um, yeah. Em, <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for chatting with me today. This has been a fabulous conversation, and I hope we get to do so again in the future. Thank you. I very much hope so, too. <laughs>